What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Sheldon Cassavant. A lot of times it's... uh it's more than just follow your passion. It's follow your passion and put in a, a whole, whole lot of work and self, uh, self-drive to, to get there. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Sheldon, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, tell everybody what it means to be a, a corporate magician or a, uh, a comedy magician. Yeah, so I uh, got my start in uh, in magic and lo- the love for the craft of magic itself, and then over time uh, started performing in different venues and, and different types of audiences. and And right now, one of my primary focuses is on uh, the corporate market. So what that means is that I'm performing magic uh, shows and and magic uh, entertainment and customized magic presentations for a corporate audience. So that would be at uh, conferences and and uh, say uh, corporate Christmas parties and uh, and awards banquets and and these sorts of events where uh, entertainment is uh, is is needed or, or the, um, the a little bit of uh, levity and, and lightness can be added to the event. So often, what I do is I provide uh, interactive. Uh, strolling close-up magic during the cocktail hour just kind of to break the ice and get the event going and then following the dinner uh, uh, typical structure would be that then a few speeches and then go into a stage show where I entertain the entire group for 50 to 60 minutes with the interactive comedy magic show that's great well I remember when we met at that that uh, the Behance conference 99U put Mm -hmm. on by Adobe and you know you meet all these people and and you know, a lot of startup people, a lot of designers, um, you know, we've got some other people from that event that are actually coming on the show, you know, from the Rockefeller Foundation and stuff like that. But you awesome. were definitely the only magician that, yes. I, that I met that week in New York. And uh, it's funny, like I automatically had a smile come to my face. Is it, is it kind of a fun, like, it seems like a rewarding thing to be working on. It, it is. Because the thing with magic is you can't help but bring joy to someone with it. Like, uh, they love the feeling that magic creates. So as the person who is responsible for creating that emotion and that feeling, it, it creates that joy for me of being able to spread wonder and, and, um, and mystery and create that feeling of, of wonder that people don't feel anymore. Like the older you get, the less you feel that sense. And because we think we know how the world works and there's so many things that we take for granted that would have been perceived as, as mystery or, or, uh, or pieces of wonder even a hundred years ago when it comes to technology or the fact that we can talk to someone, uh, as we're doing from just over a computer, um, or through the invisible, uh, wavelengths that are traveling around. Like we just take these things for granted. So to create a magic moment where, we step back and actually question what it is that we just saw and truly not know 
how it was done. Um, it's a great feeling. And for me, being able to provide that is, uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. Well, when you think about all these things you've done, um, you know, what, whether it's, you know, performing at the Vancouver Winter Olympics or um, just, just the years you've put into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, achieving mastery, levels of mastery, and, and the more you do and the better you get. And um, let's, think, let's talk about one thing specifically. We were talking about how um, you had the one contract that ended up, you ended up doing over 600 shows in Japan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us about the progression or, or what do you feel like you gained by just putting that much mileage down? Totally. So a lot of it, as with anything, it's kind of that uh, that opportunity to to do the same craft or the same thing over and over again. And for me, the contract that I did in Japan provided that. Um, so it, it has a uh, well with say the ten thousand hours, uh, being able to have a place to put in that time. And one uh, one story that I was uh, taught and, and even referenced to this day, it was uh, it was shared by Lance Burton, a, a professional uh, Las Vegas magician. Um, he had a, a pamphlet that he gave out to teen magicians, and so um, ten fifteen years ago, I got this uh, this pamphlet from him, and in it, it talks about finding your Hamburg, and essentially what that is is Hamburg, um, Germany, where. Uh, the Beatles had a place to um, daily or weekly be able to perform uh, before they had the fame and recognition of being the Beatles. Uh, they were able to have a place to um, find what their their artistic contribution is and, and have a place to be bad and have a place to, to do it over and over and over again. Uh, and for me, uh, Japan, uh, my, the contract that I had over there was my Hamburg and that I was able to... Uh, to have a place. It was a fixed location. I was able to do two to three shows a night, the same show over and over and again. And the only variable uh, that was changing was myself and the quality of the show. So in the sense that the venue was the same, the lighting was the same, the routines were the same. The only thing that I had control over in maintaining and increasing the quality was the effort that I'm putting into it. So when you think of being able to do that over a six or nine month period and hundreds of shows, uh, that really creates that, that opportunity to, to get better. And for me, that came at a point where I was 19, 20 years old, uh, and able to do, uh, that quantity of, of shows, uh, really taught me a lot and really refined that skill. And also when it comes to performance as well as you have, uh, many other factors when you're dealing with that many shows and such as like your energy levels and and having to do your third show of the night and some nights you <laughs> might not feel like it, but just the reality of the situation of having to uh, overcome whatever it is you're feeling and be on stage and present in a way that it feels like you've um, haven't just done this three other times that night. So many lessons came out of that for me and that was my my schooling and uh, still credit a lot of uh, a lot of what I do to that time um, ten ten or so years ago that I had that opportunity to do that. So specifically, there, you know, um, I know you mentioned you learned a lot. What's an example of something that was different in show number five versus show number five hundred? I think a lot of it is being aware and being attentive to the situation, like. When you have so much muscle memory in that I'm doing the same thing, my body's moving the same way, it's really being conscious of what's going on in a sense of being aware that the audience is there and the audience is new to what you're doing. So for me, that was probably the main thing to be aware of is the fact that this is the audience's first time seeing it and I have to be um, giving them my all in order to um, give them what it is that they came and what they expect. So I think one of the main lessons is just kind of being uh, conscious and being aware while in that moment of uh, repetition and then not letting like complacency kick in because it can, it can be a slippery slope downwards if, uh, if you don't uh, maintain that level of awareness and ultimately drive to have your fifth show and your 500th show be of quality. 
Yeah. Because one one thing that I I found is um, doing it over and over doesn't necessarily mean that it's getting better and better. You kind of reach that point, I think, with with anything you do over and over again, where that complacency or that um, that lack of attention to detail can kick in, and kind of say around the three hundred mark, you realize, oh, <laughs> I gotta I gotta pick this up because <laughs> because it might be getting sloppy or you might just be taking things for granted. Hmm. So when it comes to something where essentially your whole audience feels like they have the job of figuring out what you're doing and you have <laughs> the sole job of trying to keep them from figuring out what you just did, yeah. um, what, what has that been like from your early days of magic now to being much more accomplished? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes into uh, the preparation that goes in advance to the performance in that by the time it reaches the stage, by the time an audience is seeing my magic and my performance, there's been countless hours of scripting and rehearsal and, and practice and uh, practicing in the mirror and video cameras from different angles and, and really putting in the time in advance that by the time it reaches the stage, it is more natural. And then I don't have to think about the fact that like, am I actually fooling the audience? There's been so much more work in front and behind the scenes that I don't have to think as much about, am I going to be able to fool them? All that work has been put into place before it reaches an audience. So, so that, uh, that helps in that, then that kind of takes some of the burden and that, uh, uh, lack of confidence maybe of, uh, will this fool them that that work's been done before. Uh, but as for the uh, the actual performance itself, it's definitely a, a fun thing to to be up there, knowing that uh, people are trying to figure it out. But one of the things with uh, with magic or with anything, kind of the uh, the comparison can be made, is a lot of the times the more focused someone is on figuring it out, the easier they are to actually fool or to be effective with the magic. And one of the reasons for that is that they've got a narrow, such a narrow focus that I'm able to essentially take advantage of that, that focus and use all that area around them that they're not focusing on to achieve the magic. So sometimes too narrow of a focus from an audience perspective actually makes my job easier, um, which that correlation can go to, uh, to other things in life as well. Sometimes the harder you're, you're focused there's a lot of things on your periphery that, uh, that are happening that you're just not aware of. Sure. Well, and, and this is actually an interesting question. When you think about um, crossover skills, um, mm-hmm. you know, it seems obvious that all this time in front of audiences would have helped you, like when you went and did your TED Talk, for instance. Mm-hmm. But what, in that case, what was different about the TED Talk than your magic shows? Um, but probably one of the main things was, uh, the 10 cameras that they (laughs) they had. So it was a 10 camera shoot and I knew it was a live edit as well. So just in, um, uh, structure of what it is I was doing is having 10 cameras on me that I didn't know what angles they would be filming from. So from a magic perspective that, uh, that has a lot to do with it, but also from, uh, the fact that when I was brought in to, to do the TEDx presentation, it was more from a, a performance aspect, uh, but definitely wanting to structure it in a way that it did have some of that message and some of that uh, that dialogue of what it is that I uh, I do and how it is that I think about magic that can relate to the audience that is at a TED uh, TED event. So so definitely a different approach from from a content perspective and linking it back to um, to the theme of the event and and uh, then just refining it knowing that uh, it would be watched from <laughs> ten different angles without my edit editing uh, control yeah um, when you think about something like this that so many people would see as a hobby that you've been able mm-hmm. to turn into a business um, are there are there patterns that you repeat is there are there things that you do daily or weekly to really, um, you know, help you be on your A game and help you feel like this is something that can last, that this isn't, you know, this isn't, uh, I'm, I remember going to art school and looking around the room and thinking like, I wonder how many of these people are going to end up professional artists, right? Exactly. Um, you know, when you look at what you've done, 
Um, what, what does it look like on a, on a daily or weekly basis for you to, to stay on your A game and to constantly be progressing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of that is just being consistent with the effort that I am putting in. Like uh, every day I'm working on progressing my business and my show and my craft in that any time that I've ever over the past 20 years thought I'm going to um, just ride this out and say not make any changes to the show, not refine it, not do anything from a business side and just kind of let it go – um, I found that there's a, a definite um, uh, <laughs> lack of progression in that a few months later you kind of start to feel, oh, I'm, I'm not moving forward. I'm either standing still or moving backwards. So for me, it's, it's knowing that that uh, forward movement needs to always take place. So every day as someone who's self-employed and um, who's essentially doing something where you shape your own hours, you do need to put that time in and essentially be responsible for to yourself to move it forward. So I found I find like I, I wake up early every day and and put in a, a day's work and and have truly normal uh, normal office hours and that I'm I'm working uh, working on either new material, new presentations, or progressing the business side. So so it all f- fuels into uh, to feeding the pipeline for being successful down the line. If I if I stop that, it's uh, it's going to dry up pretty quick. Yeah, you know, um, we've had some other artists on the show so far, filmmakers and uh, musicians. In what ways is the art of magic different than than other art forms in your mind? That's a, a good question. Um, I think with um, well, I think some of the similarities some of the similarities would be that magic is a very kind of um, independent sort of craft in that you're practicing it a lot by your yourself and you're um, researching and, and creating in isolation. And then it's when you actually share it with an audience that that um, emotion or that feeling that you were trying to create is actually perceived. So uh, I guess a similarity with say an artist or a musician is that a lot of work goes in behind the scenes to create that performance or that, that work of art that speaks to an audience. Um, so that would be a similarity. I guess some of the, the differences would be, I guess just the, the fact that you're doing something that is so obscure, <laughs> like a good, a good friend of mine uh, used to have like a, a nose flute uh, ensemble <laughs> And so oh, yeah. when you think of something so um, obscure and, and out of the, the standard um, <laughs> vocabulary or awareness of, of the public, that that moment that they see it, their intrigue is, is peaked uh, just right off the bat. So I guess something that I'm, I'm fortunate with when it comes to magic is when you say magic, they instantly are aware of that fact that they're curious and that they're uh, intrigued and interested in seeing it because it's something that they don't get to see every day. So I think that just magic by itself is something that um, that is maybe different than some other art forms that maybe have a little more exposure in that um, they're intrigued by it. They do want to see it. They, they get uh, giddy with a, a childlike excitement in order to, to kind of have that opportunity to, to see and feel magic. Yeah. Um, well, and we're, we'll have a, uh, for anybody who's listening to this, maybe you're walking the dog or driving to work. If you want to see Sheldon's Ted talk, we'll have it on his page on the website for ideation collective. Come there. Uh, we'll have that there as well as links to, to Sheldon's website. Um, one thing that I think I, I didn't expect was, uh, this children's book. Where did the idea of, of, uh, Morton and the magician. Yeah. Morton, the magician. And, uh, and his magnificent magic show is, uh, yeah. is the name of the book. Um, and so what happened was this, uh, back in 2009, I was starting to, uh, perform more and more within schools and, um, actually doing like, a an elementary, junior high, high school sort of, um, tour in that I was doing two to three schools a day and, and blocking off a couple weeks or, or a month or so at a time to, to travel and, and perform at these schools. And within that show, um, that I was presenting to that, that age group, there definitely was a message within the show about believing in yourself and, 
and finding that passion and, and not developing insecurities about it, like essentially being proud of, of what it is you're interested in practicing, performing and um, sharing it with others and, and being proud of what it is that makes you different. So there was that message within the show. And then I wanted to um, create more of a lasting uh, thing that I could leave at the schools or, um, or essentially sell uh, to a greater public. And that's what, uh, what kind of inspired the, uh, the idea of doing a children's book. So, so I teamed up with a, a fantastic uh, artist, um, Amanda Schutz, and uh, together we went back and forth and, and creating the, uh, the character. And, and essentially I, I uh, provided the, uh, the story and, and then she did the artwork to it. And, and since then it's been, uh, been a lot of fun to see just how far that story and that message has, has gone. Uh, and one thing that, uh, that I've been working on over the past year is to kind of take it a step further and turn the book into a show. So what I've done is I've teamed up with a, a mask maker, a costume designer, a, a, a director, and and other creative individuals in that we're currently creating a, a live stage show of Morton the Magician, uh, who would be performing in those schools and uh, children's festivals and in that younger audience market. And uh, so I'm creating this show that uh, I'm producing and writing, uh, but there will be a professional actor and, and uh, team out on the road actually performing it. So for me, this is kind of a first step in a, a producing role. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to see uh, the story and the character of Morton the Magician um, in a, a different format. Yeah, well, you know, uh, and we'll have links for that on your page on the site also, awesome. but... Um... I'm think I'm just thinking about this as a dad, you know, and uh for one, it's it's funny how, you know, schools or kids that could seem like small business, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective. But it's amazing when you look at these kids' shows like The Wiggles or something like this yeah. that like sell out huge auditoriums or like the like the whole Disney on Ice market. Oh like, totally. It's <laughs> it's an incredible <laughs> moneymaker if you can really do it right. But yeah. yeah. Because we don't think of it as serious for ourselves. I think it's something that a lot of people can overlook. Um, as a parent, though, it's like you really like you really want your kid to be happy. And so in some some ways, if your kid likes it enough, it really doesn't matter if you like it. <laughs> You're just going to exactly. buy it, right? Exactly. Um, what I'm finding, which has been a lot of fun, is uh, that the parents are enjoying the book just as much as the kids. So, Well, that's uh, the thing. You, you get it right off the bat because the kid wants it and you're trying to make your kid happy or you're honestly, you're just busy with something else and you're just trying to occupy your child, right? Exactly. Um, and then when it's like a Pixar movie that's like it actually engages you as an adult, you kind of like double yeah. down and that's the one that gets watched over and over instead of Daniel Tiger's neighborhood or something, right? <laughs> and that's that's what we're uh, we're definitely working on and always aware of in the creation of the show is that we want there to be the the message behind it. We also want the characters to have depth and emotion and uh, an emotional arc and a curve within it as well, so that it isn't just say a um, uh, fuzzy character that comes on stage and waves at the audience. There's there's way more to it, just as the book has that essence. Uh, the show itself will have that um, that endearing uh, story arc of uh, of the character. So that's uh, definitely something that we're uh, we're we're going at it with. And and the reference you made to say Pixar is a perfect example where you look at say even like over uh, the holidays. I saw the Good Dinosaur, the the recent one here. It's mm. um, it's one that it has a, a deep message and has a, a definite uh, journey that the, the character goes on, uh, but it's relatable to both the adults and, and the children that are watching it. And that creates a lasting, um, lasting uh, message and, and, yeah. and story that people want to um, consume more of. Well, I, you know, I just finished um, Ed Catmull's book, Creativity. Mm-hmm. which is excellent about right. just the repeated iteration they go through to have a story that will resonate like that, you know? Um, Definitely. And I think about as a parent too, making those decisions where you do intentionally want something that's going to influence, like maybe the first time through, you just want something that'll occupy the child. Right. <laughs> but if, if we're going to go out repeatedly, you want something that engages you and that you think is going to, is going to spread that good message with the kid. 
Exactly. Um, and, you, and you never know as well what is going to pique their interest and curiosity and, and kind of um, that feeling of them wanting to learn more. So what, we, what I've done within the book itself is I've actually included a few secrets and, and tricks that the, the children can work on and actually perform. And so with that, I, I think that that provides a, a neat opportunity for them to not only see the, the, the journey that this character goes through to learn magic, but also um, – experiencing that themselves and being able to put on their own magic show. That's awesome. You know, it really makes me think about, um, the book called, um, the element by Sir Ken Robinson. Oh, okay. Yes. He's got great Ted talk. His, his RSA Royal society for the arts whiteboard talk is, is excellent, but it really digs into, you know, how the school system that was invented for the industrial age to output factory workers how it runs like an assembly line with our kids and it's kind of the one size fits all. And it really, you know, if you look at that Harvard professor, Howard Gardner, identifying the eight different main intelligences, how our current public school system really rewards two of those eight. And if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, if you were born with an emphasis in the other six, it kind of treats you like you're dumb. And uh, so I'm fascinated with the idea of something like being a magician, like, Mm -hmm if my five-year-old or my nine-year-old said they want to be a, music, I'm a magician, it's yeah. easy to be like, oh, that's great. You you know, follow your dreams. Don't quit your daydream, right? You're right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've got a kid, I've got a kid who's just edging up on the teenage years and it's really easy as a parent to think like, oh, if they really mean it, like, right. oh, that's, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the, the probabilities, right? When you look at the probabilities yeah. of, you know, you want to be a doctor, it's a thing of, you know, as long as you can study hard enough, if as long as you can outstudy your classmates and pass the tests, it's a pretty right. set program to get there. You want to be a independent business owner as a musician, as a magician. Yeah, there's there's not this like golden plan, golden plan that everybody knows of how to get there. Exactly. Um, and and yet, uh, you know, with passion and intention and repetition and people being willing to pay the price, there are so many people that beat the odds. Um, Totally. And Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it, it all comes down to the individual as well. Like uh, there needs to be that drive and there also needs to be that um, that sense that they take ownership for their own destiny and future in there. In that if there is this kind of uh, unique path that they're having to go down, it's one that they're having to create. So by knowing that there's uh, there's not a, a, a distinct paved path for them to go down, it is going to be uh, a journey and it is going to have a lot of ups and downs and, and a lot of barriers for them to cross through. And I think at each phase and each step of those barriers, um, they will be tested of whether they move forward or, or use that opportunity to pursue something else. Um, but that, that core passion either uh, pushes them through or that belief in, in what it is that they're going after is, is legit and is, is something that uh, will be successful down the line. So, so I think it is a, an individual um, uh, result based on the individual that's doing it. So a lot of times it's, uh, it's more than just follow your passion. It's follow your passion and put in a, <laughs> a whole, whole lot of work and self uh, self drive to, to get there. Yeah. And, that's a very individual, uh, result. Well, and I think, you know, you talk to people about success and anybody who is or isn't successful, they always say, Oh, hard work. You you really got to take, put hard work. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey man, you know, for anybody listening to the show, Sheldon and I, you know, both grew up in Edmonton, Alberta for some of our early years. He's still there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of folks who are in the energy space, right? Working Mm -hmm. 12, 18 hour days. And I did that after high school and, you know, dirty down in the, tr- you know, trenches, big, big machinery moving stuff around. Right. And I'm thinking like, I know guys that work really hard. Oh, totally. <laughs> like they are hard workers, but they're not getting anywhere. Right. Like they're, they're working really hard to stay in place. So I feel like that advice is it's good, but it's short sighted in the, the lack of what trajectory you're working hard on. Like which principles am I working hard at, at mastering the fundamentals of? Um, exactly. So like with you, is, is working hard for the sake of working hard, just, uh, spinning you in circles for endless amounts of effort as well. There needs to be a, a definite conscious effort in making it effective work. So being self-employed, 
you do have a very limited uh, quantity of hours and, and time and effort, and money and resources and, and everything to go into it. So it's being economical in, in where you're spending those resources and knowing that sometimes the, the hard it might be better replaced with something that's um, effective. <laughs> and when sure. it comes to, say, like manual labor, um, yeah, that's definitely a, a very different, uh, different approach. And uh, I'm just not equipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I'm a little bit obsessed with this book, 8020 Marketing, right mm. now, that just talks about, you know, how many of us building a business – um, there's those actions we take that are $10 an hour work actions yeah. and some that's a hundred dollar and some that's a thousand dollar an hour work. Like totally. when you land the new client, that was a thousand, thousand dollar an hour lunch. Right. Yeah. But yet we often use up so much of our time on the $10 an hour work and you know, how can you either eliminate it or get a virtual assistant or, or, you know, an actual staff member. And it's this idea of how can you intentionally be spending your hours where they have the maximum value kind of concept. And what I found like uh, kind of a learning lesson of a few years ago is uh, like, I keep very detailed records of every show I've done, every, mm. every thing I ever performed for an audience. Like I have a pretty good record of everything I've ever done in over the past 20 years from a magic perspective. But what I, I found is I was spending so much time in documenting the past that I wasn't spending as much time pursuing the future. So in a case of being effective in where I'm spending my time, uh, I had to really be conscious in maybe not being as detailed or being, being quicker in that documentation uh, that I was actually more forward thinking versus uh, preserving and documenting the past. And so for me, that was kind of a, a realization and turning point of going, Oh, I need to, kind of shift my, my direction in that I'm not needing to document every, uh, every magic uh, trick that I ever owned and, and cataloging and, and, uh, being as, as meticulous in the past, um, and instead spending that time in the future. That's interesting. Was, was that tracking? Was it digital? Was it pen and paper? How did you a bit of everything? Um, so what I, I actually have from a record standpoint is, uh, ever since I started, actually, because I, I started doing shows when I was about 11, um, that my uh, my mom um, is very organized and, and used to teach like business practices, like um, continuing education and, and be an educator uh, in business courses. And so I learned a lot from an organization standpoint from, uh, from her and from my parents. And what she would do uh, back when I was uh, at the age of just starting out is she would um, – uh, essentially each show that I ever have done gets its own um, like paper um, organizer, like the plastic thing that goes in a binder. <laughs> um, so each show gets one of those. And then within that goes any promotional pieces, any marketing items, um, the correspondence with the client, uh, records of what tricks I did for the audience, any comments I had after the show, um, contact information, all of that, those details would get one of those um those paper organizer uh, sleeves. And then those would go into, we have uh, cabinets full of these blue binders that have uh, thousands of shows worth of these uh, sleeves in them. And so for me, that's my, my method of recording everything is within these, these sleeves, but then that also allows for the print materials to be combined with them as well. And since then there's, I still maintain that, but it's kind of a, a hard duplicate of, the digital world that we're in now. So, so now instead of printing out everything, they're all within Dropbox and, and within my digital calendars and, and it's a little less, it's just printing it out at the end versus uh, maintaining it within those files. That's a riot. Yeah. Well, um, when it comes to, you know, kind of cutting your own path a bit here, I mean, obviously there's, there's some other, mu other professional magicians to follow from, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, in addition to this idea of, you know, mastering the craft of magic, there's obviously the uh, pay the mortgage side of the realm yes, here, of like exactly. the whole other skill set that you have to get of, of the selling of the magic yes. shows. Right. Yeah. Um, what's uh, for you? What's the number way? Number one way you bring in uh, more clients? 
Uh, great question. I I think it's it's kind of split. I wish there were. I wish I knew the number one way because I definitely would focus more time on it. Um, but there's kind of a handful that I do focus uh, focus my attention to, and knowing that that's how my business is growing. So there's obviously just people seeing the show or word of mouth that comes from just being out there in that, um, that's kind of the, the natural progression with that. Um, then there's the outward marketing that I do from say, uh, trade shows and showcases and opportunities where I'm able to market directly to the buyer. And so those would be more industry specific. Uh, and then from pretty well the, the website and having uh, an optimized site and being, uh, uh, being involved with like say AdWords and, and just being conscious of optimizing it from a, a search perspective um, that that helps with um, with kind of more of the inward uh, marketing that comes in as well. So kind of between those and a few other, other components, that's how I, I keep, uh, keep the pipeline filled with, uh, with performances. Yeah. Do you feel like you have any heroes as far as like, you know, business, mo- you know, the business model I'm pursuing is a mashup of, this guy's and this company's and this group's. Yeah. Or what's uh, your vision? Yeah. So uh, for probably the last, oh, how many years have I, uh, we've been friends for probably 15, 20 years. Uh, a good friend of mine in, in Edmonton here, his name's Wayne Lee. Uh, he's a hypnotist. And ever since I was uh, young, starting uh, doing the shows, I, I looked up to him from a business perspective in that I saw that he was, as a hypnotist, able to make a living, a uh, really good living, uh, and uh, kind of followed a lot of his advice and his path of, of uh, monetizing the shows and essentially treating it as a business and, and keeping that momentum going. Um, so having a personal uh, friend and, and colleague in essentially non-competing art forms as well and that he was able to help me out knowing that he's not hurting himself in the process – um, that was uh, very helpful, and still to this day, we we talk uh, sometimes almost daily. Uh, now helping each other out uh, from a business perspective, and um, and yeah, just always uh, always learning and, and growing um, from him. But then also from there's the magic business, which I have uh, followed, but kind of changed some of the aspects to uh, to impact my business. And I often follow more of a like a speakers, like a motivational speakers model, you know, especially from a, a corporate perspective, in just my my approach and also the markets that they're in, um, and kind of the model of a, a, a keynoter and a speaker. I tend to follow that uh, a little more closely. Interesting. Um, you know, I know you've you obviously do these shows in all over Japan and Panama and China and Mexico and all over the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm interested, you know, in kind of some, some of the hometown stories, you know, I was living in Edmonton during the Gretzky years. So it was a yeah. great, great city, right? I, uh, not sure. I always loved the negative 40, except we did get school canceled. So negative 40 was fun for that. But, um, yeah. but, uh, with the fringe there or anything like that, have you, did you feel like there was any advantages to, to getting this going in Edmonton? Yeah, for me, Edmonton uh, has always been a very creative place and a very welcoming uh, space for artists and, and creative individuals. And for me, the uh, the arts community has been very uh, welcoming and, and supportive to something a little different in the fact that I'm I'm approaching it from a magic perspective. And so, it's always been very uh, a very good place to to be an artist and to be someone. Um, who's who's on the creative side of things and then also knowing that that community is there that uh is interested in working with me from a like teaming up with a composer or costume designer or dramaturge or director or people involved um in the arts that I'm able to kind of create a a roster of people and a team that's able to work with me to to work on my show and and make it better as well so really to collaborate with with others there's a large pool of of very friendly and, and creative people up here as well. And then from a fringe perspective, um, well, and, for, and for listeners that don't know what the fringe is, can you tell everybody? Yeah. What the fringe? So the fringe is a, a theater festival that's uh, essentially independent theater that, that comes together and there's, there's, um, anything and everything goes essentially from a theater perspective in that, um, there's no, uh, jury process to, um, 
select the acts. It's essentially more of a lottery of who gets to perform. So it's very um, adventurous in the the types of acts that, <laughs> that do get to perform and the shows that are mounted at the fringe. And what's nice about that is that creates uh, uh, an opportunity for very um, different uh, and eclectic uh, ideas and people to, to gather and, and have an audience that is open to those uh, adventurous uh, <laughs> explorations and stories and, and performers. And so Edmonton um, has, I think it's still the case that it's the second largest fringe to Edinburgh, which is uh, the largest one. And so being in a, in a city that has such a large theater and independent theater component um, is a great, great experience and, and great opportunity. So, um, well, it's such a, a happy environment. I mean, like everybody, oh, yeah. everybody who's not from Canada whines about Canada being cold, but Edmonton yeah. in August is amazingly gorgeous. Like it's a beautiful place to be in August. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always when I'm performing outside of Edmonton in the summer that it's, it's one thing that's like, Oh, I wish I, <laughs> I was actually home because <laughs> the summers are beautiful here. It's just unfortunate that the winters are, long <laughs> you do those shows in mexico and panama during the winter yeah exactly yeah just schedule those at a different time <laughs> well I, I know it is such a big magnet and there's such interesting street performers and like you said it's not so rules-based there's yeah. there's major exploration at, at an event like that i can see it being an advantage well totally. um i know i've brought up a couple of books in this episode are you are there any books that you would recommend to, to people that have had an influence in your life yeah, there's um, I guess from from an entrepreneur side, and then there's also the innovation side as well. Um, certain authors resonate with me, and that I've kind of read uh, <laughs> read almost everything that they that they've put out. Like uh, say Seth Godin, I've uh, read most of um, most of his works, and and really his approach and his unique uh, um, way of presenting, but also. Uh, his topics are, are very applicable to what I do and then what uh, creative entrepreneurs uh, need to hear as well. Um, one book that uh, that really kind of influenced a way of thinking um, a number of years ago is, is say, like David Allen's Getting Things Done, um, not approaching it as like literal as some of the things that he recommends in it, but really taking the, the, the concept of organization and um, being smart about tasks and, and, and protocols and all of that uh, to create my own system. That kind of uh, was a good impetus for, for getting me going in being conscious about the systems that I'm uh, creating. Um, and then a few others, like uh, even like four hour work week, like Timothy, Timothy Ferris there, like that's a classic, uh, classic book now uh, that is, is very effective, whether it is as uh, as he talks about in the book of essentially four hours of outsourcing it and, and being flexible and being anywhere. Some of those components I've been able to um, to add to to what I do of of being flexible in in where I'm able to work, how I'm able to work, and having systems in place that I'm not tied to one location. In that, when I'm I'm booking and, and speaking with clients, I could be uh, anywhere in the world and still able to maintain my business. And um, a book like that has been really helpful to uh, to think in those ways of how to be flexible from um, as a business structure standpoint to still keep things moving and. And, uh, and that's, that's been helpful. Uh, what else, I guess from, uh, more of like a financial aspect or how to think of, um, of that, say like rich dad, poor dad, or even millionaire next door, like those more financial books have been helpful from, from a business side of, uh, how to think about income and think about, um, effort <laughs> and moving things forward. Yeah. Um, what about magicians? Who are heroes of yours in in history or currently? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned Lance Burton earlier. Uh, he used to have a show at the Monte Carlo Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, he's since retired, but uh, but growing up, he was he was always the uh, the show that I I looked up to. Saw his show many times and and uh, really respected his approach to magic and his his love for the classic uh style and and material that he performed yeah what, what's different about him compared to any other show yeah so his style was very uh i guess you could say almost like old school and that he really uh 
had a lot of the classic material like um, top hat and tails and, and cards and and uh, just his approach to magic was really almost from like a hundred years ago sort of um, vintage approach from an aesthetic standpoint. Uh, so I really like that style of, of really paying uh, paying homage to the classics and to the magicians of the past. And uh, so for me, that resonated. And then also, uh, he used to, and he still does, uh, he's involved with uh, teens and, and the youth in magic in that he was very supportive of um, even hosting like magic competitions for uh, for teenagers. And so so years ago, I used to compete in his uh, his competitions. Uh, uh, the Lance Burton Teen Seminar in in, uh, in Las Vegas, and so just having the uh, having a Las Vegas hero, I guess, putting on uh, a conference and and a, a weekend for like minded teenagers was uh, really beneficial. Um, and then others that are are more well known uh, currently, like uh, Copperfield. Um, or in England, there's uh, uh, Darren Brown, and there's a lot of people that uh, that have been achieving a lot of a lot of success, and that have been paving the way for uh, for magicians and for myself in um, putting magic on the map and and providing an opportunity for me to grow and and have an audience that wants to see it. That's great. Um, well, changing gears here a bit, we we often like to ask guests um, with the charity we started, Child Rescue. Um, any advice, you know, given your life experience of it, any advice you'd have for us as we're trying to get the word out to have more people, you know, care about ending child exploitation, uh, both here at home and abroad, any thoughts you'd have as, as we try to get the word out for that issue? Yeah, I think a lot of it, like say from a magic perspective of, um, just thinking about perspective and perception, um, in that would be kind of my my thought is just kind of approaching what it is the the greater public thinks is the the issue and truly knowing how much they truly know about the cause and about the issue at hand and then maybe it's it's changing the perspective and the approach of what it is the focus is on within the outreach of how to communicate that um, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Um, so like say with magic, a lot of it is the focus of, um, where the attention is being put. And so in the case of the, uh, of the charity, I'm not too sure the, um, the tactics, uh, being used, but a lot of it might be of, uh, maybe switching focus of, uh, maybe different, uh, approaching different, um, different angles of, uh, the people that are affected or the actual, like, um, situations that cause it or um, pursuing different storylines, I guess is the way of, uh, of saying it different, uh, different target uh, target ways of approaching the, uh, the story from a different perspective. That's great. I think it's easy to uh, have the curse of knowledge and to see things from our own point of view and maybe not always take the time to, uh, to, to, you know, really analyze what perspective our audience is looking at things. Mm-hmm. And then also what resonates and what uh, in what uh, what really fits in with what they think it is, and then what the reality of it actually is, and then really knowing what those those barriers are and 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 shifting that focus. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> you know, another question uh, we really like to ask guests is um, when you think about no matter what business you're in, you're also in the people business, mm-hmm. and. Um, when you think about someone in your life that set an example early on for how to treat others or, or early in your career, is there any is there any people or any individual that comes to mind as like, man, they really knew how to treat others and that's what I'm going for? Yeah, I think um, I think it's kind of I know it's a cliche answer, but my parents would definitely be those people that I guess instilled that, but also um, that I continue to to have as a sounding board of if I'm dealing with a certain situation with a client or with an event or with anything business wise, say that borderlines on, on an ethical question or how to approach it from, from fairness and, and, um, 
and that angle, I still use them as my sounding board of um, just getting their their honest approach. So I know it's kind of a cliche <laughs> cliche answer, but uh, but having that open dialogue always of uh, challenging situation of wanting to know um, how to handle something, and a lot of times it's just having someone to talk it out with, and already kind of knowing the. Um, knowing the answer, but having someone trusted to, uh, to be a sounding board to essentially hear you, uh, <laughs> hear, hear your own voice saying it out loud often answers the, the question and, and helps out a lot. So for me, that, uh, that has been my parents and continues to still be, um, that sounding board for, for character and, and ethics and, and thoughtful approach to how to treat people and from a business side. And then also from, uh, just day to day. You know, that's interesting that you talk about it in terms of the sounding board thing. Um, you know, with our some of the stuff that we do, our premium services where we're helping people learn more of those skills of becoming a valuable advisor or becoming an executive advisor, whether that's to your staff or to your clients, but but really like digging into what's going on inside them and uh, as a way to help them either, you know, help staff take more personal responsibility or help clients grow into a larger account by being able to know what they want so you can help them get that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's this great quote by an author named Brenda Uland. Um, she's got a, a, a piece about listening and she talks about how it can be a creative experience to be listened to mm -hmm. and how the right kind of listener essentially lets us unfold. It's almost like an exploration for us to be listened to in certain ways. And, uh, you know, I, I think for me, I'm certainly one of those people that uh, makes a lot of decisions by talking things out where, you know, I sit around and think about it by myself a long time. And then as soon as I'm talking to one of those, you know, trusted sources or valuable advisor, as I'm talking it out, if they're listening in a certain way, it helps me actually go further with the same concepts. And then I end up making discoveries I, I wasn't making as I was thinking it out in my own head. Exactly. And anytime you have to make that call to that trusted advisor to ask their thoughts on this tricky situation, often you know the answer deep down. Like, <laughs> there's a reason you're making that call. You, you want to, there's your brain telling you one thing and your, your heart is telling you the other and you, you need to just sort that out and then have their thought to, to move that forward and, and make that right decision. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's always interesting how talking out loud to someone who you know, their ethics and values and morals and how it helps, helps me make the right decision, even if it's not the decision I feel like making. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, well, interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually, yeah. it's, it's been an interesting observation for me, how many of our guests point to their mom or their dad or both when they think about, uh, that question. Um, so whether it's cliche or not, I think it's, uh, I think it's good for us to have goals, knowing who we want to be and, uh, right. and, you know, have those spot checks occasionally to say, how close am I getting, you know, what, where can I improve? <laughs> right. And that person that even if you don't pick up the phone to ask them, it's kind of that, what would they do sort of thing <laughs> as well? Like just as you were mentioning, it's like, sometimes you don't need to make the call to, to know what, their thought would be and then ultimately what would to have that person that you can think what would they do like what would they do in that situation and then often that that answers it for you oh yeah my my mom's dad my grandpa bridge totally mm -hmm. one of those and and you know he's passed on now but consistently my wife will say well what would your grandpa do right <laughs> and it's like that like cuts me to the quick like ah <laughs> you know yeah. you, right ah. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, no, that's great. Well, I appreciate your answer on that. Well, um, yeah. in the last couple of minutes here, before we close up, uh, you know, maybe uh, something that's a little more fun for, for those of us who would like to entertain some friends or kids yeah. or, you know, even, even entry level magic, are there tricks that you would recommend people, you know, Google or, or things that you, you recommend someone who's interested in starting with? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we definitely encourage, uh, if anyone's interested in learning magic, it's definitely a fun, uh, fun hobby or just something that is handy to know one or two tricks that you can, you can pull out at any time and, uh, and, uh, and entertain with you never know when it'll come in handy. So as for, uh, resources, um, I got my start by 
checking out the library and, and really using that free resource of, of the magic that's there. And uh, so within the library, there's two magic sections. There's the, the kids section and then there's the adult section. And both are, are just as valuable from a magic perspective of different types of magic and and uh, secrets and theories and, and that. So that's a free resource. Um, and then as for books... One that I recommend often, um, again, it's kind of a, it's cliche to say, but uh, Magic for Dummies, like the, the Dummy series, uh, has a magic book. And it's actually a very good magic book for beginners and also for, uh, for intermediate magic as well. So that would be available on Amazon or bookstores, and, and uh, that would be definitely a, a good resource. Uh, if people are interested in, in magic in general, uh, obviously – Googling it and, and YouTube is is a great option. Um, I tend to to find my interest in in books and and books that are older and of kind of more historical secrets and magic uh, versus learning from YouTube. But uh, but it does provide a very accessible source for people to to get into it and and explore it further. But down the line, I would say books would be the place. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and actually, on my uh, on my website uh, sheldoncastmat.com, uh, I do have a blog section, and within that blog, I've kind of separated out a, a category that's uh, learn magic, and on it, I teach um, about eight or so different tricks currently uh, that are kind of just entry level magic tricks that if someone's interested in uh, hmm. in learning, it, it's a free resource uh, and a great kind of. Um, entry point into uh into learning some magic that's great we'll, we'll have to put links to that uh on your totally. page on our site too awesome. um well listen obviously you've had to you've had to learn you know pay your dues in two different fields both both in magic and in business mm-hmm. um what kind of advice do you have for innovators out there um as far as yeah. you know given your 20 years in so far what what kind of things you would pass on I think there's a few things. Um, some of them are are not as motivational and could could be perceived as a bit discouraging. But uh, but I guess one is is knowing that it is a, a slow uh, slow and steady wins the race sort of thing. It is a slow process to to be successful at anything. And for me, that's always been something that I have to keep reminding myself of is that that concept of overnight success is is often and most usually not the case. It's, it's that 20 years that those years that go in before that no one notices. Um, so it's just being aware of that and being confident in the fact that you're moving in the right direction and that it might take longer than you think. Um, or you would hope, (laughs) at least that's what I found. Um, and then also it's knowing that you have to, put the effort in yourself and believe in yourself prior to someone else believing in it for you. Um, a lot of the times uh, I've had many experiences where it's like, I want to sign on with a manager or an agent or have someone else putting in the effort for me to sell my shows and, and work with people that could create a show that's better and all of this, but that's putting the onus on someone else when I need to, really believe in myself to invest time and money and experience in myself first before other people will naturally take notice. So a lot of it is, is just knowing that that's the, the natural way that it happens of once it's, once that effort's been put in, it becomes more attractive to those outside people to team up with you and actually partner with you to, to move forward. Um, so that would be another main thing. And then, um, another one, I guess is, is one that I have to keep reminding myself of from a, a practice perspective, but also from a business standpoint in that it's kind of that apple a day sort of scenario of um, you need to invest effort daily versus you can't, it's easier to have an apple a day versus three months worth of apples in one day, the day before <laughs> you to do something. So it's really being, uh, being aware of, just putting in that effort on a small continual basis and then seeing the the fruits of that labor over time uh, versus cramming it in. I've, uh, I've learned that one the hard way too many times. Um, 
that it, it is easier to to just put in that effort from a business standpoint and from in in the case of magic practicing and reading and researching doing a little bit over a long period um, gets you further and is a lot less stress and and is more fun that's great well, I think that's sound advice so hope that helps <laughs> yeah yeah well we appreciate you making time for us today my pleasure. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed being on on the call, and and uh, yeah, definitely. If if those listeners out there are interested in learning more about what I do or or about magic in general, uh, definitely check out the links and check out my website, and, and we'll go from there. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.